This is the Education Gadfly Show. They try to figure out, okay, we need an exogenous source of variation. Okay. Ooh, yeah, okay. Ooh, we need that. <laughs> what does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, Donna Bohoritz, the chair of the Texas State Board of Education. Donna, welcome to the show. Thank you. Honored to be here. Yeah. Also joining us, our regular co-host, David Griffith. Always a pleasure, Mike. Thanks. Are you the chair of anything, David? I, uh, I'm i sitting in a chair. <laughs> That's it. So, Donna, you have one of the most important and toughest jobs in education policy. Oh, my goodness. You know, it is, of course, Texas is huge, and it is also known for huge controversies on the state board over the years. I uh, noticed, we're not going to go into much detail on this uh, today, but notice, of course, you're in the middle of a controversy again over... U.S. history standards in Texas. What What is it about the Texas State Board that seems to attract controversial topics all the time? Well, I think and uh, a bottom line is we matter. Yeah. Uh, we're educating 10% of the kids in public school across the country. And so we have an impact not only on the state of Texas, what yeah. we're doing, but on the, on, the, on the country as a whole. And it does seem like you make some decisions at the state level that maybe in some other states are made locally. And so uh, these, these decisions do get a lot of attention. Right. And uh, you're also a member of Conservative Leaders for Education. That's right. right. Okay. That's right. A great group that uh, Bill Bennett, among others, has helped to start of, uh, of state legislative leaders and state board members around the country. So great to have you here in Washington and on the show. What we are going to talk about are some of the things that you're doing down in Texas to try to encourage kids to take more ownership over their education and their education journey. As you say, let's do that on Ed Reform Update. So, Donna, this has been something we've talked about. I just wrote a big, long piece about this uh, myself. I know you're working on this. This question of whether it's okay to let kids' pathways diverge, let's say once they're in high school, some kids doing more traditional college prep maybe, some kids doing more career-oriented preparation. And how do we do that without, you know, while, while avoiding the bad parts of old-style tracking? So how is this playing out in Texas? What are you all looking at and thinking about doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, several years ago, it's been probably two legislative sessions ago, we passed a bill called House Bill 5. And mm -hmm. House Bill 5 changed the graduation pathways around what we call career pathways. Yeah. And so there were five career pathways as a result of that legislation. Um, the five pathways are important because by the end of the eighth grade year yeah. or the beginning of the ninth grade year, students have to choose a pathway. Okay. And it is not as strong as a major yeah. that you think of when you think of pathways you think of something that's more like a major it's more of an area of interest that okay. they want to pursue okay and, and this is regardless as if they they plan to go to a four-year college or they it might doesn't have matter. different yeah. aspirations everybody's got to do this. absolutely but it's so important at that particularly at that particular time uh in eighth grade and ninth grade when we have that's when our dropouts mm -hmm. begin to happen in a more heavy yep. way yeah it's important to have those conversations like this is leading you somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's not just, okay, the adults in charge are telling you to do this. Right. Um, this is an actual beginning of the thinking process around at some point I'm going to be out of school yep. and end up in a career. And what's that going to look like? And how should I head? And what am I actually interested in? So I think it causes the kind of conversation that needs to be had with students. Mm -hmm. All right. So this is, uh, so that's in place already. Are there some things that you're thinking about going forward that you're working on now in terms of, uh, uh, beefing up 
you know, the college prep or her CTE pathways? Is that is that coming in the next session? You know, I think uh, I have not heard uh, any specific bills yet. It's still okay. pretty early. People have just gotten back from summer. And so I haven't really heard any particular uh, concern pushing on. But I know there's been a tremendous amount of increase on both d- uh, dual credit classes mm-hmm. being taken and passed, as well as AP and IB, uh, advanced placement and international baccalaureate classes yeah. for advanced uh, work for students. Yeah. So lots of push by districts all over the state doing that. Yeah. So so let's think about how how does this play out in Texas? How do you think about uh, making sure that everybody gets a rigorous program in high school, but it doesn't have to necessarily be the exact same program? I mean, so for example, you know, is it is it possible in Texas to go through high school and start focusing more on career oriented kinds of things? And maybe that means you're not going to take English three. You're not going to you know at some point you're just doing the less of the academic stuff, more of the career tech stuff. How do you think about that as a leader? Yeah, I one of the big things that is happening, and there are more and more of these, we call them early college high school, where um, often what ends up happening, you end up with a certification before you ever graduate high school. Yeah, And this enables, particularly our students, it's super popular in the Brownsville area, okay. um, where we have a great deal of poverty. Yeah. And uh, the kids have a lot of challenges moving on to that next step beyond high school. Mm -hmm. And so in that area particularly, it's become quite popular to do these early college high schools where you're graduating with a high school degree Mm -hmm. as well as a certification, a licensure, some kind of associate's degree. Yes, absolutely. Or Mm -hmm. just in community college. They work together so well with the community colleges and the businesses in that area of the Mm -hmm. state. Um, and I think it's tremendous opportunities for for students. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before, David. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, this seems like a no-brainer, and yet it still makes a lot of people nervous to go down this pathway, right? This worry that, oh, but there's, you know, then certain kids, and they're more likely to be kids of color or low-income kids, aren't going to get the academic preparation so that someday they decide they do want a four-year degree, they're out of luck. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any way to articulate that that's not tricky, right? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think what's tricky about it for me is I think we all know that um, high schoolers are don't have perfect foresight, right? So, um, you know, many of us did things in high school, right? Like that we, we, we don't necessarily you know, still stand by what we did, right? So we can, you can change your mind. Um, but at the same time, we know that it's, you know, I think as you, the point you've made is that a significant number of kids um, won't go on to college, right? Or won't complete it at least, right? Yeah. And so we can't let them just sort of smack into the end of high school without training them in something, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think what's tricky is trying to get it right so that, we, you know, we're, in, we're ensuring that when kids do hit the end of their education, that they have sort of narrowed their focus yeah. to the point where they are, uh, you know, really and, and, like, and, like have an idea in mind. And, and as Donna said, take ownership of it, right? I mean, this this idea that we still are marching millions of young people through courses that they have, <laughs> they're just not interested in. Uh, when they could be doing something that, again, is rigorous. I mean, uh, you know, this the point is not to just let them do whatever they want or go fishing because they don't want to do, right. you know, algebra. It's to say, you know, these career preparation programs should be rigorous. They should be aiming towards some kind of real credential. Oftentimes, there has to be an exam they have to pass to get the credential. Oftentimes, there's math involved at a high level. There's a communication skills. I mean, so it's, again, it's not an easy path. It's just a different path than the one that many of us did when, you know, because, you know, a lot of us in this world did go to four-year colleges. And so when we think of high school, we think of AP and IB and dual enrollment and academics and all the rest. And that's fine, but that's not the only pathway. That's right. And I think the board has done a, a really good job of working with um, education leadership in the state to to try to 
uh, ed courses that are options for those juniors and seniors, particularly um, like discrete mathematics, as an mm-hmm. example. It earns um, uh, that is a computer science math combination mm-hmm. that is not a traditional pathway like calculus, yep. you know, algebra two, pre calculus, calculus. Mm-hmm. It's a different pathway that would involve more computer programming. So um, I think we've added several things to mm-hmm. our course catalog as options, particularly for those juniors and seniors that would qualify as math or science credits. So we, we've looked at expanding ways to get there and it's not just always that same pathway yeah Yeah. i mean the thing that you said that was most compelling to me or the aspect of it that's most compelling to me is i do think that many high schoolers have a really hard time connecting what's going on in the classroom to the the end goal right so Mm -hmm. i i mean i think i do think there's a lot of value in just from a purely motivational standpoint in helping them connect the dots and putting them in charge um yeah, I mean, I think what I'm struggling with is just what are we really saying, right? When it comes to a kid, I mean, are we when it comes to a kid who is going to go to a four year university, mm-hmm. right? Like, are they? I mean, should they also pick, right? At that at that age, is it important? I mean, I don't know. Right? No, I look. I I mean, in sure, a lot of people say you know the career preparation should be for everybody, even if you're doing a four year degree. And I, I mean, that's fine. I think that's getting them starting to think. And this is and this has happened in our schools forever, right? I mean, I'm sure we all took various career, uh, you know, affinity uh, exams or, you know, the, well, you know, I, I learned that I was, I was more, you know, comfortable with ideas and people and data and not as comfortable with things. I mean, I, I don't know right. if these, <laughs> these assessments are actually any good or not, but yeah, yeah all right. It, it was helpful as you start thinking about stuff like that. But, uh, well, but I the, think, you know, just to kind of tell you another uh, option that I think is starting to get, gather steam, I think is important. There are, um, there's a program available as an example that is, uh, going to be available specifically in middle schools that I think has some some real potential of engaging students in their careers and it's software based and it actually connects students to um, folks in careers all over the country Mm -hmm. I mean they actually are able to send emails and get correspondence back from a chef in New Mm -hmm. York who has signed up to be a mentor on this program. Cool. And so things like that where is where you need to start those explorations at yeah. that younger period. Yeah. Again, start thinking about tomorrow that's going to be down the road, not not too far from where they are mm-hmm. in middle school. Uh, and what does that mean? And how do I head there? But having a real connection to somebody in a real career mm-hmm. that you might think that you're interested in that early, I yeah. think has a, a great deal of potential and, and possible impact. All right. Well, Donna, thanks so much for coming on the show. I know there's so many other things we can talk about. You're doing great work. I understand getting on, on mental health supports, a huge issue for our schools uh, on its own, plus in respect with respect to the school shootings and everything. I mean, so maybe we can come back sometime and talk about that. Would love to. All right. Thanks so much. Again, it is Donna Bohorich, the chair of the Texas State Board of Education and member of Conservative Leaders for Education. Thanks again, Donna. Now it's time for everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. So, your family doing okay? We talked we about the are, storm last week. I mean, I was in a hurricane like safety zone at a hospital yesterday. It was nuts. I mean, a tor- tornado safety zone. Crazy tornado came through Richmond yesterday. Yeah. Did you guys hear about this? Yeah, I mean, I, I heard about the tornado watches. They, yeah, there was one. I was one, getting huh? text messages from all my friends like, oh my goodness. that didn't live near me. So, I guess it was on like, you know, other states' news. Um, anyway, thankfully we were spared. But yeah, my husband oh my had a doctor's goodness. appointment and then all of a sudden the hospital, like, 
like, re, 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 warning. Wow. And they shuffled us down to the interior basement of a radiology lab. Wow. Uh, but hey, we were hanging out with doctors and patients and for like an hour and we were best buds and we, then everybody went one home. One of those situations. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, the pictures of North Carolina, where I know yeah. you've got family, have been just uh, yes, devastating. And good. I guess uh, it's not over yet. It's so we're still, still sending our awesome prayers. Okay. That's right. All right, well, tell us what you got for us this we week. We have a new NBER study uh, examines the impact of retaking college entrance exams, specifically the SAT, mm-hmm. on SAT scores and college enrollment. Mm-hmm. You guys see this story? Have you see it? I saw this headline. Okay, I like good. this. Yeah. So Harvard professor Josh Goodman and colleagues examined student-level data from the College Board, specifically 12 million students. By the way, this guy used to work at College Board. I'm like... Who did College Board give their data to, right? But anyway, mm-hmm. one of the guys worked for College Board. Yep. Anyway, uh, they examined examine student-level data from College Board, 12 million students from the high school classes of 2006 through 2014, mm-hmm. who first took the SAT by November of their senior year and thus had time to retake it prior to graduating. Mm-hmm. They match SAT data with college application and enrollment data from the National Student Clearinghouse. All right, this was good. It gets really interesting because SAT test takers and retakers are are obviously different than non-retakers, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're going to retake it, you've got something that maybe makes you different yeah. from the other group. Mm-hmm. And so they try to figure out, okay, we need an exogenous source of variation. Okay. Ooh, yeah, okay. Ooh, we need that. <laughs> uh, that affects retaking, but it's not related to these unobservable characteristics of mm-hmm. students, okay? So they borrow from the behavioral economics literature that shows that people focus disproportionately on the leftmost digits of numbers when making decisions, including when they buy goods like cars and houses. Mm-hmm. So in other words, when you're going to buy a house, maybe $699,000 might make you feel differently than $700,000, mm-hmm. right? Um, prior related research has also shown that students scoring just below multiples of 10 tend to retake the SAT at higher rates than those scoring right at or above those thresholds. Oh, okay. So okay. think about yourself. You got a 990. Maybe you want to try it again to get a thousand. Are you accusing us thousand. of getting a 990 on the SAT? <laughs> I, Amber, I'm, not, I'm a little I, offended. Anyway, you know where I'm getting at. <laughs> you are. Uh, so given that students scoring just below and above these thresholds are otherwise nearly identical, they use these round number cutoffs to estimate the causal impact of retaking on SAT scores and college enrollment. That's really clever. That I like that so much. How clever That's is that? Yeah. yeah. All right. First, the descriptive findings. Uh, 54% of SAT takers retake the SAT at least once. Mm-hmm. 75% of four-year colleges that use SAT scores in the admissions process publicly claim to consider only a student's maximum score, Yep. which means that retaking improves their chances of being admitted mm-hmm. by making their application more competitive. Females are three percentage points more likely to retake than males. Asian American students, how many percentage points more likely do you think they are to retake than white students? 20. 12. 12. Mm-hmm. Still sizable. Yeah. All right. The impact findings retaking once improves students' admissions relevant scores by nearly 0.3 standard deviation, mm-hmm. which is 90 points on a 2,400 point scale. Mm-hmm. Yep. For students who initially score in the lower half of the SAT distribution, retaking once boosts their scores by nearly 0.4 standard deviation, which is 120 points. And then they talk about what these scale increases uh, do and how big they can drive improvements in college Mm -hmm. enrollment. On average, retaking increases the probability of enrolling in a four-year college by 13 percentage points. 
mm-hmm. driven largely in part by the pull away from two-year colleges. Mm-hmm. Uh, retaking also causes students to enroll in colleges with historically higher degree completion rates mm-hmm. than they would have otherwise. They use Raj Chetty's mm-hmm. uh, data there. Because mm-hmm. more selective schools tend to have better completion rates. That's right. Yep. Um, but again, these impacts are driven largely by lower scoring, low income, and minority students. Mm-hmm. Higher scoring students saw smaller gains, in part because of ceiling effects. Mm-hmm. And finally, they estimate that eliminating disparities in retake rates between low and high income students mm-hmm. could close up to 20% of the four-year college enrollment gap by income. Mm-hmm. And then they have a big section on recommendations, one of which is just simple common sense, right? Mm-hmm. Let's char- start encouraging students to take their first SAT test sooner yeah. than they often do. So they have time to take the retake because they find that a lot of these, especially low-income kids, take it one time, they take it late in their senior year, mm-hmm. done. Uh, and they also talk about- By the about, way, late in their senior year, how does that give them time to even apply to their Well, schools? I mean, late is November, December. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then they also talk about making it more known that retakes are actually allowed. Yeah. A lot of kids, yeah. I think they were saying, don't, don't even realize that. We'll call that the Princeton Review uh, policy, right? <laughs> okay, okay. I, okay. I assume that they provide a kickback to colleges for this policy. Of <laughs> All right, but hang, score. hang on a second. Surely, surely the simplest fix here is for post-secondary institutions to stop considering retakes, Right. Why would we have everybody take two? I mean, am I, I mean, crazy here? I mean, do you got a bad testing day, David? Yeah, you didn't Mr. get enough Grinch, sleep. You missed on. breakfast. I mean, come on. You don't want these whole kids' livelihood depending on their one shot. Right? Okay, so full disclosure, <laughs> I won't give you my score, but okay. I scored. It ended with a 90, okay. right? So okay. I was just below the threshold. <laughs> okay. I retook it. I improved okay. my score by 70 points. Okay. Um, and uh, that was good for me, yes. but it seems like if everybody else was doing that, it actually wasn't that good for me. It seems like we've just created a perpetual <laughs> well, motion machine. It's an arms race. Oh, so yes. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, right. And and what is this? Why are people getting better at this? And does this actually reflect more knowledge learning? or more test taking? That's what I'm saying. Or more yeah, prep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. They're just learning to take the test, right? <laughs> and that means or that prep, or they're prepping more. When I took the GRE, I really studied that big fat 500 page book, you know, and I felt like I learned more about well, stuff. I, I am curious about that. You know, what what is it that that, uh, especially for the lower achieving kids, is driving these higher scores? Is it just that they're familiar with the test or mm-hmm. have most of them done some kind of test prep, Khan Academy right. or otherwise? I, in between? Stand, I stand by my point. It's an it's a barrier for low-income kids, right? So so colleges shouldn't put it up, right? Yeah, I just, I'm still of the opinion that if but it's they a close good the gap test. On the, but they do, but if, if, well, this is a question. Do lower income kids benefit more from a retake than higher? Did you say they did by slightly? Did. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes, All right. Then maybe did. the takeaway is not so clear. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, mm-hmm. Matter of fact, it was almost uh, entirely driven by those low income and minority students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I just oh, said, I high, said high income kids had very little um, uh, advantage because of ceiling effects and so on. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah David, come on. <laughs> Open those ears. <laughs> I, I, I was doing my best to listen. <laughs> no, okay. Well, anyway, so it makes a difference, right? Yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, and I'm still of the opinion that if it's a good test, I mean, come on. Like, I really, don't you feel like when you're studying for a test, even if yeah. it's test prep, yep. and you're learning, you know, how to solve some problems you wouldn't have otherwise because you're studying the book, you're looking in the back, how did you come up with your answer? Like, you're still learning even yeah. if you're studying for the test. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It doesn't like it vanishes from your head because you learned it for the test. Mm-hmm. Anyway. 
Mm-hmm. That's my take. Mm-hmm. Very good. <laughs> I just love the design. Come on, it right? Is, like, it is very clever. Super clever. I just, I mean, I don't know how people come up with this stuff, but yeah. I thought yeah. it was cool. Come on, well, let's figure it out, Amber, so we can do it as well. <laughs> yes, that's right. Maybe next week we'll talk about our new study. Yes. Uh, that, uh, yes. Well, We're we won't give too soon. much away. We won't, but we uh, there, there are some some college entrance exam there data in are. that study there as well. Are. Yes. Indeed. All right, good. Well, that is all the time we've got for this week. Until next week. I'm David Griffith. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.